Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by and welcome to the Home Capital Group fourth quarter financial results conference call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during this session, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. Please be advised that today's conference is being recorded. If you require any further assistance, please press star 0. I would now like to hand the conference over to your speaker today, Jill McRae, Investor Relations at Home Capital. Thank you. Please go ahead, madam. Thank you, Cindy. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us today. Our agenda for today's investor presentation is as follows. We'll begin the call with remarks from Yusri Basada, Home CEO. Our CFO, Brad Kodish, will then review our financial performance, which will be followed by a question and answer period for participants. We have a number of members of our senior management team with us on the call to help answer your questions. On behalf of those speaking today, I note that this call may contain forward-looking statements and that actual results could differ materially from forecasts, projections, or conclusions in these statements. Please refer to our advisory on forward-looking statements on slide two of the presentation. I would also remind listeners that home uses non-GAAP financial measures to arrive at adjusted results and that management will be referring to adjusted results as well as reported results in their remarks. Finally, a link to the slides accompanying this presentation is available in the Investor section of Home Capital's website. And now I'd like to turn the call over to Yusri Basada. Thank you, Jill, and good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us today for our fourth quarter and 2020 full-year results conference call. Earlier today, we announced another quarter of solid operating results with earnings per share of $1.06 for the quarter and $3.33 for the full year. This represents strong growth over the same period in 2019. Just as important as the results themselves are the conditions in which we achieve them. The onset of COVID-19 and ensuing lockdown created uncertainty throughout the industry. When the first stay-at-home order was issued, people were concerned about the consequences of declining GDP and rising unemployment on housing demand and therefore mortgage demand. However, The lockdown conditions had the opposite effect. Following a sharp decline in the spring, the demand for home ownership rebounded in the summer and grew stronger than ever through the rest of the year. Many people ended up with a renewed focus on their living and working spaces. The persistence of low interest rates and remote working capabilities led to higher home prices and sales volumes across the country. The global health crisis made 2020 an extraordinary year with wide-ranging impacts on people, organizations, and the Canadian economy. Home capital was no exception. In fact, 2020 presented us with three unique challenges, all at the same time. The first was the challenge to shift our operations to a work-from-home model to protect our employees and business partners. The second was to create launch and administer a loan deferral program that would offer meaningful support 
to our customers. And the third was to implement our Ignite program, which had some critical milestones in 2020. I'll discuss each of these in turn. To begin with, the decision to work from home came about swiftly and without much advance notice. It was more than just a change in physical location. We had to find new ways of communicating with our employees, supporting them through this transition, providing them with systems and tools they needed to look after our customers, and above all, safeguarding their health and safety. At the end of the year, I can look back and say we accomplished all this and more. Our move to remote working was done in a secure environment to protect our customers' information. We created new online tools to work with solicitors, appraisers, title companies, and other suppliers to fund mortgages. We hired new people who have never set foot in our office and had only met their colleagues virtually. And those new team members were interviewed, hired, onboarded, and trained in their new position in our sustainable risk culture, culture all while working remotely. I continue to be inspired by the resilience of our team members. At the same time as our shift to remote working, we were given an opportunity by our industry partners and regulators to support the financial well-being of our customers by offering a deferral program. We moved quickly to develop, launch, communicate, and administer this program. And our people rose to this challenge as well. Looking back, we can conclude that our deferral program was a success. Whether we measure our success by the number of people we helped, the number of calls we handled in our contact center, the number of loan payments we deferred, or the percentage of our borrowers that returned to making their regular loan payments. We were able to allocate talent and capital to help people cope with the economic impacts of COVID-19. I'm proud that HOME was able to help people stay in their homes when they most needed our support. In 2020, we also had some key milestones in our IGNITE program. Many of our people had to devote significant time to setting up and testing new system and processes while executing their day-to-day -day functions. They rose to this challenge as well. We went live with a complete replatforming of our core banking system. This will eliminate many of the customizations from the old system. Our operations will be more flexible and agile, allowing for faster product introductions and advanced analytics. There's a lot of excitement internally about the potential for this new platform. We continue to execute on our strategic objectives. We launched our accelerator program, the A Mortgage product which was met with great acceptance despite our more conservative underwriting parameters associated with the pandemic. We substantially reduced our exposure to our consumer retail through the disposal of our point of sale business and select HVAC loans. We implemented 10 robotic process automation programs to manage high volume tasks. We grew Oaken deposits by successfully migrating to an online environment when our stores were closed. Through it all, we stayed focused on our relationship with our customers and business partners, finding new ways to support them and maintain quality service levels. Again, I'm proud to report what HOME has done this again. 
We were also recognized, again, as the bank lender of the year at the 2020 Mortgage Awards of Excellence. Finally, we turned a strong financial performance for the quarter and for the year. We grew our originations in the residential and commercial market, delivered a record high net interest margin, and completed a $150 million substantial issuer bid in the first quarter. We ended the year with an industry-leading CET1 ratio. You should expect that we'll continue to be prudent with our capital in the future. Looking ahead to 2021, the path towards reopening remains uncertain. We know that some restrictive measures are still necessary to contain the spread of COVID-19, but we can be encouraged by the growing availability of vaccines. We look forward to further economic improvement as the year progresses. We appreciate the continued confidence of our customers and broker partners and the perseverance of our employees through all the challenges of 2020. We may be physically apart, but in some ways, we're closer than ever. I'll now invite Brad to discuss our financial results. Thanks, you three. And good morning, everyone. I will begin by turning to slide six, which highlights our financial performance for the fourth quarter. Net income of 55.3 million grew by approximately 49% compared with Q4 2019. Net income per share was $1.06, an increase of 63% compared with Q4 2019. Return on equity was 13.4% for the quarter an increase of 440 basis points over the same quarter last year. On slide seven, full year net income grew by 29% year over year to 176 million from 136 million. Fully diluted earnings per share increased by 45% to $3.33 per share. Adjusted earnings per share grew by 42% to $3.54 per share. Return on equity for the full year was 10.5%, an increase of 230 basis points over last year's 8.2%. Growth in net interest income and a release of credit provisions during the quarter were the most significant contributors to the increase in Q4 earnings per share compared with last year, as shown on slide eight. Our net interest margin expanded by 24 basis points to 2.55%, while the efficiency ratio dropped to 51.2% from 55.6%. Provisions for credit losses swung from 4 million in Q4 2019 to a release of 7.7 .7 million in Q4 2020. For the full year, as shown on slide nine, our 45% growth in earnings per share was driven by growth in net interest income, reduced shares outstanding, offset by increased non-interest expenses and a significant increase in provisions for credit losses during the year. Our net interest margin reached 2.46% for the full year, and we achieved a 49% efficiency ratio. The reduction in shares outstanding during the year resulted primarily from the repurchase of 4.4 million shares under a substantial issuer bid in January of 2020, as well as repurchases under our normal course issuer bid which totaled approximately 650,000 shares during 2020. 
we reported adjusted earnings per share for the year of $3.54 compared to adjusted earnings per share of $2.49 in 2019. Turning to slide 10, Home reported strong growth in residential originations, up 24% for the quarter and 18% for the year, with particular strength in our accelerator mortgages. Slide 11 shows our commercial originations higher by 39% for the year, with virtually all of the growth in residential commercial. Earlier in the year, we made the prudent decision to pull back from a lot of location-driven segments of this market including office buildings, land, retail, and hospitality. As of year-end, commercial mortgages were 10.9% of total on-balance sheet loans. Home also grew deposits through our Oaken Direct Consumer Channel, as shown on slide 12. Oaken now accounts for 29% of our total deposits, compared with just under 25% one year ago, with 80% of that total in GICs. I would now like to spend some time discussing our loan book and our credit provisioning, beginning on slide 13. The average FICO score of our single-family borrowers is 727, and the average loan-to-value of our uninsured single-family mortgages is 59%, which demonstrates that we have a high-quality customer base with high levels of equity in their homes. Slide 14 shows our credit provisions and write-offs quarterly and for the full year. Provisions for credit losses totaled $34.1 million for 2020, an increase of 72% over 2019. These provisions change by taking into account various forward-looking macroeconomic assumptions and the weights assigned to these scenarios, as well as management expectations of further future performance. Slide 15 shows provisions for the quarter and the full year by business segment. The primary contributors to provisions for 2020 were the commercial portfolio, which continues to be impacted by uncertainty related to the impact of COVID-19, as well as the other consumer retail portfolio, where there was a significant provision for credit deterioration. One component of the other consumer retail portfolio was sold in the third quarter of 2020. This part of the portfolio contributed over $22 million to net write-offs of $25.7 million for the year. Expressed as a percentage, net write-offs were 15 basis points of gross loans this year compared to 5 basis points the year before. In the fourth quarter, our credit provisioning resulted in a recovery of provision for credit losses of $7.7 million reflecting an improvement in the forward-looking assumptions in our economic models compared with inputs to those models used earlier in the year. Slide 16 shows the economic assumptions underlying our allowance for credit losses. In Q3 of 2020, our base assumption for housing prices was a decline of 8.74% compared to a base case decline of 3.66% in Q4. The improvement in the HPI resulted in a reversal of provisions in our residential lending book in Q4. Our use of multiple scenarios, as shown on this slide, adds $14.5 million to what the allowance would be using just the base case. Slide 17 gives a breakdown of our allowance by credit losses by segment. 
The total allowance of $71 million increased by $8.4 million over last year's figure, with an increase of $15 million in our commercial portfolio, partially offset by a decline in the allowance attributable to our other consumer retail business due to the write-offs discussed earlier. 53 of that $71 million, or 75%, is attributable to loans classified as either Stage 1 or Stage 2, which are still considered performing under IFRS. Our allowance on performing loans will continue to fluctuate as new estimates become available of the future impact of COVID-19 on the economy. With our prudent underwriting standards and the shorter contractual term to maturity of most of our loans, we consider our loan portfolio to be well-provisioned. Net non-performing loans on slide Net non-performing loans on slide 18 are at 57 basis points of gross loans as of Q4 compared with 47 basis points at the end of Q3 and 44 basis points at the end of Q4 2019. The allowance specific to stage three loans is 15% of the total. As homeland security in the form of real property or cash deposits for most of the stage three loan portfolio, we consider this coverage level to be prudent. Our liquidity and capital metrics are on slide 19. We continue to hold over 1.3 billion in high quality liquid assets with access to additional short-term funding as needed. Our CET1 capital ratio of 19.82% at the end of Q4 increased by 47 basis points in the quarter and 218 basis points for the year to date. This is after accounting for transitional arrangements, which allow for a portion of certain credit allowances to be classified within CET1 rather than CET2 capital. This transitional arrangement added 10 basis points to our CET1. The increase in our CET1 was due to internally generated capital, which more than offset the decrease in capital from our 150 million substantial issuer bid completed in January and our NCIB activity during the year. We will continue to be prudent in our capital management decisions and any economic conditions. And now I will turn the call back to U Street for closing remarks. Thank you, Brad. When the initial lockdown was announced back in Q1, it was difficult to forecast what the eventual impact would be on our industry and our people. But we entered this pandemic with all the elements we needed to ensure our resilience in any conditions. We had ample reserves of capital and liquidity that we could put to good use to support the recovery effort. We had our sustainable risk culture to ensure a prudent risk management in all scenarios. And above all, the resilience of our company is due to the strength of the home team. I thank them for their extraordinary achievements in 2020. And I thank you all for your participation on today's call. I will now ask Cindy to poll for questions. As a reminder, to ask a question, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. To withdraw your question, press the pound or hash key. And please stand by while we compile the Q&A roster. Your first question comes from Jeff Kwan with RBC Capital Markets. Hi, good, uh, good morning. Um, my first question is just uh, any insights you have in terms of how the spring housing market is shaping up and, and just in general, we've obviously seen elevated levels of housing activity um, coming out of the pandemic. 
just would your crystal balls suggest that uh, how much longer we are likely to see the uh, elevated housing activity? Uh, thanks, Jeff. Um, my crystal ball has been wrong so much in the last um, uh, year, uh, but I can just tell you, uh, based on momentum so far, it seems that it's going to be a strong spring market. It's not the, the technical spring market starts in February. Um, what appears to still be low, at least in GTA, is the number of listings, but the market uh, appears to be hot and there's a lot of buyers is our initial impressions. How long it will last, I'm unsure. Okay. Um, with respect to the NIM yields, um, if you can, like, what's your expectation or, or how are you looking at the NIM yields evolving over the next several quarters um, in relation to your prime, your classic, as well as in the commercial book? Uh, Brad? Yes, uh, Jeff, I think um, we've seen a, a pretty stable or positive trend uh, for the past uh, few quarters, and, and we expect that uh, we'll be able to maintain that uh, if uh, interest rates remain at their current levels, uh, obviously subject to uh, competitive con conditions. Okay, and just my last question was on the uh, compensation expense. It was up, I think, about six million quarter per quarter. Just wanted to get some color uh, into that um, the quarter per quarter increase. Yeah, sure, Jeff. Um, usually in Q4, um, we'll do uh, um, some true ups for annual compensation expense items. You would have seen an increase uh, in in last year as well. Um, over the run rate. Um, we've also added um, employees uh, over the quarter. Um, the annual uh, average uh, was 755. Um, we're, we're around uh, um, 760 or more. Um, we think that we're going to have uh, slightly higher compensation expense this year, uh, probably more in the closer to uh, $26 million a quarter on average uh, through 2021. Okay, great, thank you. Your next question comes from Stephen Boland with Raymond James. Uh, good morning, everyone. Maybe, uh, Brad, if I could start with uh, with you and the provision. Um, if, you, if you could remind me, when you set up the, the main provision back at the end of, I think that's Q1, the $30 million, was there a time frame that that's modeled out to? Um, like, was it a 12-month Outlook or an 18-month outlook, and 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 I'm just trying to gauge the the pace of, of releases that could be coming over the next quarter or two. Uh, well, effectively, the provisioning is done over the life of the loans or expected life of the loan, so probability of default varies depending on the length of, of time. And you know, we typically look out uh, with some of that economic forecasting for the next year. <laughs> But it, it's done over the, the the probability of default over the life of the loans, depending on okay. the aging. Okay, and but most of the most of your loans, I presume, are at like one to three years. Is is it that the what you're? Yeah, I right think now? that's a fair assumption. I mean, all, all the stage one is done on a one-year basis. So, um, yeah, I guess to directly answer your question, the the, the term of that uh, forecasting is generally for a one-year period. Okay. 
And, and you, three, you, you mentioned, you know, you, you seem, you know, cautious on the outlook of, um, you know, the housing market is certainly strong and seeing the multiple bids and, you know, houses going over asking. Um, are you, are you, do you get concerned again about the, you know, you typically pulled back your loan to values when you thought the certain areas of, you know, the market were, were getting too hot. Is that starting to play into into your thoughts here heading into the spring? Well, um, we're not concerned because, uh, you know, we do one deal at a time. We will look at the circumstances of that particular situation and the mortgage before saying yes or no, which will take into account activity in the area and, and price adjustments and so on. Um, but at the same time, um, the, um, the activity uh, seems to continue to be strong and people rethinking where they're going to live and with the low uh, interest rates uh, that are there. So um, we would probably relax some of our loan-to-value ratios, as you've suggested, we, uh, to be more clear. When this started, we, we got more conservative in certain areas on our loan-to-value. We would probably look at that only when we felt the economy was was coming back and that it was prudent to do so. So, like everyone else, um, we are waiting to see the full effects of the lockdown on the economy as well as uh, the vaccine effectiveness and so on. Okay. Thanks. I'll reach you for my next questions. Your next question comes from Jamie Glone with National Bank Financial. Yeah, thanks. A uh, couple of questions here, uh, just to run through the. Uh, you know, I noticed there was a sale of residential mortgages in uh, in Q4. Can you uh, give us a little bit more color as to what's the strategy here? Where do you see the size uh, going to, and and maybe some income expectations around uh, this this strategy to sell mortgages? Yeah, I, I Jim, uh, we we had a. a We've just began, begun the program in uh, the, the Q4. Uh, you know, the, we did not sell a significant amount of mortgages. We do expect that over time we can grow it. Uh, we want to see uh, what kind of traction we can get. Uh, we anticipate probably doing in the order of um, $25 of uh, this first quarter, but we think that there's lots of room to expand that program, and uh, part of it is, uh, you know, to be able to continue to grow our loans under administration uh, while not uh, taking loans uh, off uh, balance sheet. Okay. And uh, are you able to give us any sort of uh, uh, income uh, guidance around that, like what kind of what kind of fees are you receiving to uh, – I, I think we'll mortgages? be able to give you a much uh, – Sorry, I interrupted you, but I think we'll be able to give you yeah. a much better uh, idea of what the potential can be uh, when we report Q1. As I said uh, earlier, you know, we're just beginning this program, and uh, we're, uh, we're trying to establish uh, what we can get as an effective run rate before uh, it makes sense to provide uh, any uh, sort of outlook in, in, in that respect. Okay. Uh, that sounds good. Uh, in, the, uh, in the RMBS portfolio, uh, I noticed there was a spike in, in interest expenses in Q4. Can you talk about what's going on there? Uh, 
I'll get back to you, Jim. I don't have an answer for you right now. Okay. Um, the uh, and and I apologize if you, if you address this in the prepared remarks. I uh, the increase in single family uh, net impaired loans looks like it was pretty significant uh, quarter over quarter and year over year. Uh, can you talk about what was driving that increase in in single family net impaired loans? Overall, I, I think uh, general economic conditions are some of our borrowers have, have been impacted uh, uh, by COVID-19. In addition, um, we weren't able to, uh, all the collection uh, proceedings were suspended. So in the ordinary course of business, we weren't able to realize on security. So that also had a contribution to the increase. Okay, so just to follow up on that then. So if I understand correctly, uh, the the underlying characteristics of specific borrowers uh, has deteriorated, and so that caused uh, caused uh, some impairment in the loans. Uh, at the same time, that because you've suspended uh, collections or foreclosure processes, uh, your ability to realize upon uh, I guess defaulted loans is uh, is impaired, and so this is. Like should we look at this as being a, a temporary uh, number that would sort of clear in Q1 or Q2? Like, how, how should I think about that? Well, I, I think, you know, we've, we've grown the portfolio as well. So we'd expect that, I agree that that has increased as, as an overall percentage. Uh, you know, we had, you know, the overall coverage ratio in that stage three was, you know, close to 12% this quarter and last year it was 12 and 0.75. So, you know, we, we've seen a pandemic when, as I think as you mentioned, you know, we have had some borrowers who um, have gone into default or into stage three. And uh, I'd probably emphasize probably that condition more. We don't see uh, any, um, major uh, further movement but again you know that that's going to depend on the way the economic circumstances unfold so uh, I, I think that's probably more of a factor than um, the ordinary course of collection activities which should they resume you know will moderate that balance somewhat but I think overall uh, it's more economic uh, conditions as opposed to delays in collection proceedings. Okay, hey, Jim, yeah, I see and the, usually, yeah. Jim, just to just to uh, be, I think you know this, but just to be clear, part of our uh, delays is because the courts are closed, and uh, they uh, they have announced that they may start opening them over the next couple of weeks. So we we do expect a part of that will normalize as uh, either the client sells their home because the LTVs are getting quite good for them. Uh, and or we have options that will open to us once the courts open. Okay, okay. And so it's, uh, yeah, I, you know, I look at that net impaired loan and we should see that sort of uh, begin to clear as that opens up yeah. a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, okay, that's uh, that's good. And uh, just uh, just one last one um, from my end. If I'm looking at the, uh, the other consumer retail loans, uh, mortgage continuity, table uh, there were no advances in drawdowns is that uh, 
Uh, is that like a, a signal that this is complete shutdown of, uh, of anything going on in other consumer retail loans, or is there something else uh, we should think about there? Yeah, we, we've, we've stated that um, we've uh, effectively stopped originations in that category, so uh, uh, it, it, it's effectively in, uh, in runoff. Okay, that's great. All right, thank you very much. Your next question comes from Etienne Ricard with BMO Capital Markets. Thank you. Good morning. So first on the on the long on the long growth outlook, so you know, when we look into the classic portfolio in particular, you've seen originations uh, picking up quite nicely, although the loan balances remain flat year over year. I'd just like to get, you know, uh, an update on competitive dynamics and how has your um, attrition rate trended, trended in recent quarters? Uh, I can I can answer that. Um, so there's a number of dynamics here, as you suggested. Uh, first is uh, we got more conservative when the lockdown started last March. Um, we got more conservative in certain regions. We in, in other regions we pulled back the maximum LTV we will do. Um, so. Uh, even with that, we increased our originations on Classic, and we would have increased it even more had we been more relaxed. Um, so that is one uh, for sure. Uh, on the um, competition, there is, a, there is uh, a few players that are in the Alt-A uh, space. I think they've also had um, good, good volumes. Uh, we, we continue to be the number one lender in Alt-A, so we're proud of that. Uh, in one subsection, the private lenders, um, some have continued to do well, and others uh, seem to be doing less uh, business. I don't know exactly why. Maybe they're funding, uh, or maybe they're taking a more prudent approach. But the main competition from us remains uh, financial institutions that have interest in Alt-A. Uh, um, there's only one or two large ones like ours, uh, and there's a lot much smaller ones that uh, participate in the space. Okay. Um, switching to the, um, you know, on the funding side, you know, you, you continue to, you're seeing good momentum at OKIN. Could you remind us how significant that channel could become as, as a percentage of total deposits and, you know, over the, over the next couple of years? And, and what is the associated impact on, on cost of funding relative to the broker market? So over uh, a two, three, four-year period, um, we would want to get it to the 40 to 50% range of our total uh, deposits, Oaken. Oaken has many advantages um, uh, for us. Uh, there's much stronger customer loyalty upon renewal. Um, uh, having a direct relationship with the consumer has, has many advantages. Uh, when we compare Oaken, to overall deposit broker when you when you compare what we've got to pay commissions to broker versus our costs of running Oaken and the ads and so on, it's about 20 to 30 basis points more uh, on on average. Uh, but that is a, a value to us because the retention is much higher. So over a longer period of time, that tends to, to close the gap because we, we can keep them. So it'll continue to be an important part of our of our uh, uh, brand. And, and this year. In particular, Oaken did very well by uh, 
as I mentioned in my comments, by going digital and allowing consumers to buy and check and renew uh, digitally. And there have been a number of improvements made in the OCAN that make it very easy for a customer to deal with us from their home. Uh, next time. So one last for me. Uh, on the RMBS market, um, how has market appetite um, changed, and, and would, it, would you expect it to become uh, you know, more recurring source of funding over the short term? Yeah, again, it's Brad. Um, we have seen uh, stabilization in that overall market. And uh, we do expect to come to market in the first half of uh, this year. Thank you for your comments. Your next question comes from Chihan Tonke with Stifu. Well, hey, uh, good morning. Most of my questions have been answered already, but uh, maybe we can get. Uh, you mentioned that you know housing activity you know remains very strong. Um, can you give us a read-through on how your asset yields are holding in and kind of how funding costs have trended um, throughout the kind of first two months of the quarter? Yeah. Um, uh, hi, Chihan, by the way. The, the, the uh, funding costs have been healthy for us. Uh, I, I think um, what happened in the second quarter of 2020 when the Bank of Canada dropped rates fairly rapidly, to offset what was happening in the economy. Um, over a few weeks, the GIC rates followed them and widened our spreads to mortgages. Over the year, the mortgage um, uh, rates have come down. Our competitors, as well as ourselves, have come down and brought the margins a little closer to normal, but still uh, healthy, and we're able to keep our rates uh, competitive yet we're not the cheapest guys in town. We compete, as, you, as you've heard me say before, a lot on, on our service and relationships and education. Um, so the, um, I think the margins, you know, for now uh, are healthy. There is more competition in this space. There's, there's, uh, there can and tend to be one or two that are trying to buy market share with price, which can be a short-term okay, but in the all case space, there's much more to it than just rates. There's the complexity of the deal and, and understanding the risk within that deal. and So that helps, um, you know, uh, from the A business where you, you might get somebody just going on rate. There has been, you know, very low rates, 139, 159 on the A side that are very commodity. It is a very, very basic mortgage, and as long as you qualify, you can have it. But in the alt A side, there's a lot more complexity. Where is the mortgage, the income proof? So it tends to leave it a little more uh, normal um, spread. Uh, I think our competitors and us do a lot more work to do that, so we require the spread to be successful. I appreciate that. Um, maybe just getting uh, into a little bit more detail there. You talk about, um, you, you just mentioned that you're looking to come to market for another RMBS issue in the first half of this year, um, and as well as you know, initiatives to increase your open deposits in your, in your overall um, deposit book. Do you think then that um, your, your NIM of you know, Q4, which is uh, pretty strong, is that sustainable over the course of the year? Do you think there'll be some volatility there, or how should we think about that going forward? Well, I, I think that um, if 
the the big assumption under all this is there's no um, movement either in the government rates as well as uh, some consistent uh, competition on the for broker deposits as well as on on the asset side. So if all of those sort of stay similar to where they are today, then we expect that uh, we'll be able to uh, maintain uh, NIM. Uh, at current levels, uh, it probably certainly uh, in in Q1, and, and you know that's kind of where we have sight to, uh, or or some confidence in. Okay, um, and just with respect to you know the open branches, um, it looks like you've got good growth in, in internally sourced um, um, deposits. Although there isn't that many, how do you think about the strategy of having physical locations now in this post-pandemic world going forward, and um, what's the outlook there? Think, we think it'll still be important, Jan. Uh, a, a large number of our clients are over the age of 50, and uh, they still uh, value coming into the branch and the relationship and being able to do that. Like everyone else, they pivoted and uh, to using digital to, to continue um, to deal with us. But we had, um, you know, in the last year, uh, certain branches would open and then close again in Toronto. In Vancouver and Calgary, they're still open. And um, it was our first test to see what happens when the branch opens, and it got very busy, even with social distancing and lockdowns. And so we, we really believe that it is going to continue to be an, an important part of the Oaken service um, but now we've even added digital so that we'll have more um, able to do so. So there's still, um, uh, you know, um, a, a certain amount of clients that value these relationships and trust, and then those who want to deal with us digitally, we've, we've made ourselves much better in the last year for them. Okay. Uh, and just one more question for me. Um, so operation, organic growth opportunities sound um, quite strong going through uh, this year. How do you think about maybe more strategic decisions longer term? Um, have you evaluated, you know, any acquisitions or, or potential new verticals or um, perhaps acquisitions to boost the mortgage business? Um, how do you think about from a strategic perspective kind of beyond this year over the next three to five years, um, any inorganic uh, growth opportunities? Yeah, you know, we are uh, very focused on, on our foundation and building the company to be stronger and stronger. I mentioned Ignite and building our technology. Uh, we're not complete. We're about halfway through what we want to achieve there. It allows us to more be more digitally competitive, to be more data management competitive, CRM competitive. Uh, it, it just um, updates home on, on many, many uh, levels. So... That's our focus. Um, but if, if some opportunity came up that was on strategy and, and, uh, and made sense, we, we would look. We would look for sure. I don't think anybody wouldn't look if it, if it didn't make sense. Uh, I think we're in a good position, and our capital base allows us lots of, uh, lots of options. If, if something made sense that was accretive, it would be a choice for us. And if, if not, we have the opportunity to give capital back to our, 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 our shareholders. So... We're in a good seat in terms of those uh, that thought process. Thank you. 
As a reminder, to ask a question, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. And your next question comes from Graham Writing from TD Securities. Hi, good morning. Um, just following on that last topic um, with Ignite, um, I think, you know, from the adjustments for your expenses, I think they've been going on for a couple of years now. Should we expect, you know, adjustments to continue for another couple of years, or what's the outlook there with sort of uh, Ignite-related adjustments? Okay, Graham, we, we expect this, um, this fiscal year will be the last year where we'll be making those adjustments. Okay, perfect. Thanks. And then um, on the, the sort of the ECL modeling and whatnot, is there any sort of material changes year-to-date relative to, you know, some of the key HPI and employment inputs that you would have put in, um, you know, as of December 31st that, uh, that you would want to flag or, or could flag for us? Well, I... I... Again, it's all subject to significant uh, volatility, but uh, we have so far seen uh, um, improvements in um, the HPI forecast as well as uh, unemployment measures. Yeah, okay. That makes sense. Because there was obviously a bit of a uh, decline in the sort of employment picture just at the year end, but uh, it sounds like offsetting is the outlook for employment has actually got a little bit better since then. Is that, is that a fair yeah? I, I guess I just leave you with that that, that it's volatile, um, and uh, uh, but uh, so so far we've seen um, uh, improvements. Got it. And then my last question would just be: um, I appreciate the, the uh, one of the slides you gave the FICO score. <clears throat> Um, is that for your total residential book, i.e., you know, your accelerator and your classic? And if so, you know, what would it be for just your uninsured single family or your classic uh, portfolio? Has that FICO score changed at all over 2020? Uh, sorry, Brad and I are remote. I was. Um... Uh, I don't have that handy. I don't know if you do, Brad. We can look into it. I, I don't have it to handy, sweet. We'll get we'll get back to you. Okay. No problem. That's it for me. Thank you. Your next question comes from Stephen Boland with Raymond James. Uh, hi, user. Just one uh, follow up, or Brad. Um, just on your tier one capital ratio. Um, maybe the highest we've seen now in a couple of years. Uh, I know things are not normal with uh, buybacks and, and dividends and things of that sort, but w when things do normalize, what, what capital level or tier one would you like to be running at, or what, what do you think you'd like to, to get down to? Uh, we've, we've operated uh, over the past, in, in looking back, uh, between 15 to 17%. So, so that's kind of that would be yeah that, that that's that's probably a, a run a run rate that that we could get to uh, over time. Okay, thanks, Brad. 
I'm showing no further questions at this time. I would like to turn the call back to the CEO, Yusri Basada. Thank you, uh, Cindy. Thank you, everyone, for, uh, for joining us. Uh, stay safe, and we look forward to seeing you live in the near future. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's conference call. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C.